Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. David French of National Review is in for the vacationing Jim Garrity this week. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have actually two good martinis, one bad and one crazy. David, you're such an overachiever, and it's good to have you back. Uh, I know it's been a really <laughs> quiet month for you, no controversies, no uh, big eruptions in the conservative movement that have involved you. So uh, thanks for your time, and uh, uh, how yep. are you? <laughs> really boring month. Uh, not much to say about May. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also sponsored today by Blinds.com. For a limited time, our listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com. When you use the promo code Martini, blinds.com, promo code Martini. Much more on that in just a moment. So a double-barreled good martini on completely different subjects, starting with Reuters. Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam on Saturday indefinitely delayed a proposed law that would have allowed extraditions to mainland China in a dramatic retreat after anger over the bill triggered the city's biggest and most violent street protests in decades. Quote, after repeated internal deliberations over the last two days, I now announce that the government has decided to suspend the legislative amendment exercise, restart our communication with all sectors of society, do more explanation work, and listen to different views of society, Lamb told a news conference. Political opponents called for the bill to be scrapped completely. Protest organizers said they would go ahead with another rally on Sunday to demand that Carrie Lamb actually stepped down. The about-face was one of the most significant political turnarounds under public pressure by the Hong Kong government since Britain returned the territory to China in 1997. So, David, knowing the Chinese, my guess is they're not done with this idea yet, but the fact that the people rose up, at least it's on the shelf for now, is very good news. Yeah, it's good news and it's inspiring news. You know, one of the things that I think made this protest particularly urgent is that took place at the same time that China has just been engaged in a brutal round of repression against some of its Muslim citizens, the larger People's Republic has. And so if you're a citizen of Hong Kong that sort of clings precariously to civil liberties negotiated as part of the agreement with Britain when Britain withdrew its control over Hong Kong, you're looking at the larger People's Republic and you're thinking, but for the grace of God, there go I. This was a tremendous outpouring of public protest. And, you know, we often don't see that work, especially in the face of oppressive regimes. We don't see that work all the time. To see that happen, I think, to see the courage, to see the resolve was inspiring, frankly. What's the impact or what would be the impact if the government had just ignored the protesters and shoehorned this through? We have seen China ignore protesters before. We've seen China brutally repress protesters before. I think Hong Kong knows that it has, you know, the ability to motivate world opinion in a way that unfortunately other citizens of China cannot. You know, China is a powerful nation. China is a repressive nation. But it also, it's still subject, especially in the Hong Kong context, to a lot of international constraints. It would have been, if China is to truly crack down on Hong Kong, it would create a true international challenge at best, crisis at worst for the People's Republic. So the citizens of Hong Kong do have a degree of power that citizens in other Chinese cities do not have. And it was gratifying to see them rise up and use it. Well, let's move over to our second good martini, David. And for that, we move over to a number of different sites because the Supreme Court has 
made a ruling on a now-defunct Oregon bakery known as Sweet Cakes by Melissa, which got fined $135,000 for refusing, based on conscience and free exercise of religion grounds, to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, it depends on who you listen to here, uh, in, USA, <laughs> in USA Today it says the Supreme Court declined Monday to decide whether an Oregon cake baker can refuse on religious grounds to design a cake for a same-sex wedding, a question it carefully sidestepped last year. The case would have given the court's conservative majority the chance to expand upon its narrow 2018 ruling in favor of a Colorado baker. That decision did not apply beyond the case of Jack Phillips, owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop. Over at the New York Times, they say the Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal. The justices instead returned the case to lower courts in Oregon for further consideration. The court's actions on Monday uh, still left unresolved the question of whether many kinds of businesses, including florists, photography studios, calligraphers, and tattoo artists, may discriminate against same-sex couples on religious grounds. Meanwhile, NBC News thinks it's a big win for the bakers. They say it dealt a partial victory to the owners of the Oregon bakery by wiping out the lower court ruling. So, David, you have been deeply involved in religious freedom cases for many years. Uh, What's the real read on what the Supreme Court's done here? (laughs) Well, the real read is that the bakery won. Um, So if you, you know, it was subject to an adverse ruling in the states. And it was subject to an adverse ruling in Oregon. It goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court vacated that ruling. So that ruling is gone. It's over. And they have remanded it for uh, further consideration in light of Masterpiece Cake Shop. And this has been kind of a standard move for the Supreme Court since Masterpiece Cake Shop. And so what it's essentially said is, OK, we're going to we're going to uh, wipe away the, the verdict against uh, the Christian baker, or the Christian florist in the case of Baronel Stutzman in, in Washington and send this back for the court essentially to look at the record of the case and to determine whether there was evidence of anti-religious animus like there was in the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision. In a lot of these cases, there is evidence of anti-religious animus. And so that can mean that these cases will be reversed um, without the Supreme Court having to reach the larger First Amendment issue of whether there is a First Amendment right to refuse service. There is a First Amendment And when I say refuse service, what I mean is refuse to use your artistic talents to design, say, custom cake or custom flower arrangements to participate in a same-sex wedding. And so essentially what the Supreme Court has said is you have a right to an adjudication that is free from religious animus. And that is clearly established by Masterpiece Cake Shop. And so they're remanding these things to see, is there any religious animus in this case? Now, if there's not any evidence of religious animus, then it'll probably kick right back up to the Supreme Court, which is what the Washington Supreme Court just did a couple of weeks ago in the case of Baron L. Stutzman. They said that there was no evidence of religious animus in the case of Arlene's Flowers in Washington, that if there was any religious animus, it was on the part of the enforcement, not the adjudication, which is an interesting distinction. So there's still a core First Amendment issue that has to be addressed. But at the same time, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case itself establishes a principle that applies to an awful lot of these cases. So this is a win for them. It's not a permanent win for them. But if you're a lawyer and you've had an adverse ruling at a lower court and the Supreme Court reverses that adverse ruling, that's a good day for you. So you would say the Supreme Court is doing the responsible thing here in uh, looking at the, the smaller issue and the not going for the big sweeping decision here as opposed to addressing the conscience of the free exercise issue once and for all. 
Well, they're going to have to eventually address the big sweeping issue. They're kind of postponing it. But the fact of the matter is that's what the court does all the time. 90 plus percent of the time, the Supreme Court will try to decide a case on the narrower principle rather than the larger principle. This is something that Supreme Court litigants learn early on is that if you're swinging for the fences, you're often going to be disappointed that if there is a way to resolve a case more modestly and narrowly, especially if it can build a more solid majority, the Supreme Court will often do that. Not always, of course, but often do that. And so in this case, Justice Kennedy built a 7-2 majority in favor of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop. So that narrower grounds is sufficient to resolve an awful lot of these cases. And so the Supreme Court's going to see if the narrower grounds work before it reaches the larger and more sweeping principle. And just to put a, a fine point on this, as we close out the good martinis, David, uh, the Democrats are, are proving that they don't believe these bakers or other uh, folks who use their talents for custom work ought to have this protection. It's based on the Religious Freedom Restoration Amendment and this new Equality Act, which passed the House and probably won't go anywhere in the Senate or with the president right now, essentially would wipe that out, right? Well, right. You know, one of my problems is I wish the Democrats would accurately describe what's happening here. They consistently compare these kinds of cases to things like Jim Crow and denying people lunch at lunch counters and things like that. And that's not happening. These individuals serve gay customers. They serve people of all races, sexualities, gender identities, etc., But what they will not do is use their talents to create custom works that advance points of view or events they disagree with. So it might be a same-sex wedding in one circumstance, or it might be, as Jack Phillips has declined to bake satanic cakes, for example. I mean, it shouldn't be a hard concept because this isn't sexual orientation discrimination. It's about compelled speech. And the prohibitions against the government compelling speech are very longstanding and very strong in American constitutional law. And the Democrats just consistently mischaracterize these cases. Wow. It's really just a shame that there's only one cake baker in Colorado and one in Oregon, too, because otherwise you just assume (laughs) they'd go find someone who would be happy to make it for them. But it must be really tough to start that business in those states. Each of these individuals has many, 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 many alternative venues for getting what they want, which is so completely different and why I get so frustrated when they compare this to Jim Crow. I mean, African-Americans in the South often could not find a place to lay their head at night, a place to eat, were in a position to where just the ability that we take for granted now to be able to find a hotel room, to find a meal, that was something that was a battle for them. And there's nothing like that going on anywhere in the United States right now. And to compare one baker in the whole state of Colorado refusing service on the basis of, um, you know, his his artistic talents being conscripted into celebrating an event he finds offensive to Jim Crow is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And as you said, you got a lot of politicians who are misleading on the issue, and then the media don't do a lot of diligence on this issue either. They're no. pretty much on the uh, agenda train, not in the fact train when it comes to this agenda. So you kind of got the, the blind leading the blind here, or the deceptive leading the deceptive. But as, as long as we're talking about blinds, let's, let's do it in a positive way and talk about blinds.com. How'd you like that transition? For many of us, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> your blinds or whatever you have on your windows is really just an afterthought. But with brand new, made-to-order custom window coverings from Blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. When they're right, everything in your home looks better. But when they're wrong, everything in your home looks cheap. 
When you need new blinds, there's only one place to go, Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality, custom window coverings. Whether you're looking for energy efficiency, you just moved, or want to refresh the look of your existing home, Blinds.com makes the whole experience so fast and easy. Plus, every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. Just send them pictures of your house, and they send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme, furniture, and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online, and every order gets free shipping. And this is the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or pick the wrong color, if you make a mistake, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've really made it easy for you, so there is no excuse to leave those mangled blinds. And for a limited time, Three Martini Lunch listeners get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code MARTINI. That's Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off. Faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, David, let's move to our bad martini now. And I don't think this surprises a whole lot of people, but it sure isn't good news. CNN, Iran is ramping up enrichment of low-grade uranium and will pass the limit it is allowed to stockpile under the nuclear deal in 10 days, a spokesman for the Iranian Atomic Energy Agency announced on Monday. During a news conference at the Iraq a heavy water reactor facility. Uh, one of their lead people there said that Iran had increased low enriched uranium production fourfold and would exceed the limit of 300 kilograms by June 27th in the latest blow to the nuclear deals signed between Iran and world powers back in 2015. However, he said there was still time for European countries to save the nuclear deal if they abide by their commitments. So, David, obviously the United States uh, is no longer a signatory to this. So Iran perhaps feels a little more latitude. This means that the Europeans are the only ones keeping the check on Iran. And Iran so far doesn't seem all that threatened by what the Europeans might do to them. Right. I mean, this is an illustration of the incredible complexity of this issue. Once the Obama administration created the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran deal, it had follow on consequences that are not so easy to escape. And so what it did essentially was take a pretty solid sanctions regime being imposed on Iran and essentially blew it up (laughs) in exchange for Iran agreeing to delay its nuclear program. It opened itself up to an awful lot of economic opportunities that were being blocked under the sanctions regime. Well, the fact that we tore up the Iran deal and we stopped complying with the Iran deal does not necessarily mean that all of our allies were keen to reimpose sanctions. And so essentially what you end up doing when you tear this deal apart is you also relieve Iran of any sort of binding obligations under the deal, because we've said we're not going to apply. The the deal is null and void. They don't have to comply. And then unless the Europeans are willing to sort of reimpose the kind of sanctions and the kind of isolation of Iran that existed before, you can very well find yourself in a worse situation than you were before, even with this bad deal. So on the one hand, I oppose the Iran deal. On the other hand, it's hard to replace something with nothing. And what ends up happening is you begin to get in a position like we are now, where there is 
increased brinksmanship unknown so far at least the level of support from allies increased tensions in the region this is a very dangerous and volatile situation and you know it's one of the things you know i know a lot of people who like the trump administration sort of scorn the alliance building call it you know what globalism or whatever scorn the alliance building that's been part of american foreign policy for a long time in favor of the notion that, you know, we can do what we want. Well, the problem is, unless you are willing to engage in ever greater levels of credible brinksmanship, you often need allies to accomplish your foreign policy. And it's really unclear where our allies are going to be, at least so far in this escalating confrontation with Iran. So on the one hand, we've got the nuclear deal is gone. Iran about to blow through its enrichment limits, which is terrible. And I'm not quite sure what the plan is from here. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what we're going to do about it. And if what we're going to do about it involves military action, I'm not quite sure the American people are ready for it. So we're beginning to reach a point where both the Iranian nuclear program and the North Korean nuclear program may well end Trump's first term more advanced than when he started his presidency. In spite of all of the bluster and in spite of all of the promises that things would be better, and that would be a serious setback. Deeper in the CNN story, it says Iran has reiterated that it could reverse the new measures should the remaining European signatories in the nuclear deal, mainly France, Germany, and the United Kingdom, step in and make more of an effort to circumvent U.S. sanctions. So these European countries are kind of caught between the U.S. trying to really tighten the screws on Iran and basically bring it to its knees economically. But, of course, a lot of these European countries signed on to the deal because they wanted to make a lot of money off of Iran. Yes. Uh, and so that's uh, leaving them between a rock and a hard place. So do you think they're more likely to help us tighten the screws or are they just more interested in the profits ultimately? Well, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, we're still the apex power here. We still have a lot of ability to tighten the screws. And the fact of the matter is the Europeans need us more economically than they need Iran. But again, we've got a lot of brinksmanship going on here. And I also think what is happening is we're now heading towards the second half of 2019 is coming up here pretty soon, getting close to about 18 months from an election. And it's very possible that Iran is going to defy Trump and then hope for a better president from their perspective to win the White House. I think that there could be a situation where they're going to signal to Trump they're not intimidated by him, seek solace from Europeans and wait out until the presidential election. Because these guys don't think in terms of American news cycles. They play the long game. In the long game, unless Trump wins re-election, his presidency is sort of dust in the wind for the long game. And so I think that that's why what we're seeing now in sort of the second half of this is they're signaling their own level of toughness by allegedly attacking these tankers they're responding to the tearing up of the deal and the designation of the Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. So they're responding, but they are escalating gradually, and they're also playing a bit of a patient game. And so we will see what happens. But in the meantime, it's really incumbent on the administration, if they're going to engage in military brinksmanship, to come to the American people and make the case as to why we need to be engaged in another conflict in the Middle East if it comes to that. And I'm just not really seeing it. I mean, they've done a good job of showing some of the evidence of the Iranian tanker attack. But come on, you've got to come to the American people. This is what the Constitution requires is you to go through Congress. And Congress are the American people's direct representatives. 
let's see the Trump administration make the case if indeed it is believing that military brinksmanship is necessary here. But we're moving into a dangerous time and the American people should have no illusion. We would win any conflict with Iran, no question. But they're a far more dangerous opponent than Saddam Hussein's Iraq or the Taliban's Afghanistan. Far more dangerous and far more able to hurt the American economy and to inflict casualties on Americans. This is very, very gravely serious. And David, you've accomplished three things there. First of all, excellent analysis as always. Secondly, dust in the wind is now going to be playing around in my head for the next uh, little, <laughs> little bit of time here. And which I perhaps appreciate the most is you've perfectly teed up our next and final martini on the crazy side. You were mentioning how Iran was probably going to wait and see what happened in the next presidential election. And that's where we're going to focus a little bit here in our crazy martini, because in addition to so many other things in the Trump George Stephanopoulos interview, he was asked to respond to internal polling numbers that showed that he was not matching up very well with Joe Biden in some critical battleground states. For example, he's, as of right now anyway, behind by seven points in Florida. I think it was 16 in Pennsylvania and 10 in Wisconsin. Trump said those weren't true. They were fake. His pollsters told the media otherwise that those were actually accurate, but they weren't too worried about the numbers this far out. But the president, not too happy about the confirmation that contradicts him. So CBS News is reporting the Trump campaign fired several pollsters after internal polling numbers from his own campaign that show he's trailing. Potential Democratic challenger Joe Biden were leaked. CBS News has learned President Trump called those polls fake. And so, David, you can look at it in two different ways, I guess. One is that this was supposed to remain confidential. That was violated and therefore they had to go. Although my suspicion is that had the polls showed the exact opposite and they got leaked, I don't think the president would have fired too many people here. This seems a lot like a classic shoot the messenger situation. Um, I see an awful lot of confidence on the right that Trump is sitting very nicely for reelection and he may well win reelection. But as of right now, he's not sitting very nicely for reelection. There is a recent Fox News poll showed Biden up nationally. I believe it was nine or 10 points. And showed a lot of the other Democrats hovering very close to Trump, you know, maybe up one or tied or up two, which is very, very close. But the problem is Trump is the incumbent. He's the most well-known factor here. He's the most well-known person, and he's bumping at a ceiling of about 41, 42 percent. And I don't care if you have a built-in electoral college advantage or perceive that you have a built-in electoral college advantage. It is really hard to become president in a two-person race with 42%. It is very, very hard. And for the incumbent to have numbers that low, even against relatively unknown opponents, or to the extent that they're known, they're known for being more left than maybe the rest of the general public, that's ominous. But again, you know, here's the thing I think that Republicans need to watch out for. I think they need to watch out for overconfidence based on misperceptions about 2016 polling. If you talk to a lot of Republicans, they'll say, well, the 2016 polls were all wrong. They were just wrong. Well, the national polling was pretty spot on. I mean, it was the actual outcome as far as the national polling was squarely within the margin of error of the polling average. Yeah, Hillary underperformed a little bit in the national popular vote, but it was pretty accurate. Where a lot of the polling was off were in those few key states. And some of the polling was off in part because there hadn't been a ton of it done. You know, I think people are over-remembering the polls being wrong in 2016. The national polls were largely accurate. There were some individual state polls that were wrong. And 
you know, I think that has led to this sort of immunity to bad news, if that makes sense. It sort of says, ah, well, they were wrong, then they'll be wrong again. They weren't as wrong as you think. And then number two, rather than some of the sparse polling you saw in some of these upper Midwest states in 2016, they're going to be saturated with polls in 2020. You know, you're going to be sick of seeing Pennsylvania polls and Michigan polls and Wisconsin polls and Iowa polls and all of that. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what these say. I think that if Republicans are looking at a Trump number at 41, 42 percent for reelect and feeling confident, uh, I would question that. Now, again, I mean, Democrats have a demonstrated proven ability to shoot themselves in the foot. And if they keep racing to wokeness, every time they do that, they're shooting themselves in the foot, forcing Joe Biden besieging Joe Biden until he retracted his support for the Hyde Amendment made it less likely that Joe Biden can win the presidency. Flat out, it made it less likely for Biden to win the presidency. And that kind of thing is self-defeating on the part of Democrats. And one of the reasons I think why there are some legitimate reasons for Republicans to have a degree of confidence, because they can look at the Democrats and see that they're racing away from a large number of the American people who are actual winnable, gettable votes. But at the same time, the idea that Republicans would look at the Trump numbers and have a degree of confidence is mystifying to me. Fascinating. Fascinating to watch. The pollsters also uh, tell the media that those numbers are based on a worst case scenario. So we don't know exactly how the question was phrased. But either way, like you said, when the incumbent is polling in the low 40s, that's never a good place to be. Uh, But uh, as we know, there's a long way to go here. Folks uh, are going to hear a lot more from Joe Biden or whoever the, the Democratic nominee is. And as things get more intense, it'll probably tighten. But a, a long way to go here. And also like your uh, injection of the word over-remembering. It uh, <laughs> re- reminds me of Roger Clemens saying his critics misremembered what he had to say about steroid use. And uh, uh, then it was uh, Ralph Northam vividly not remembering that he was in that picture. So uh, people had a lot of fun with that word. So well done. Uh, one last thing on this point. And You know, it's going to be interesting to see these Democrats just racing to the left and you see evidence of it every day. But we cannot forget that what will happen as soon as one of these guys clinches, the entire media establishment, with the exception of Fox News, Talk Radio, National Review, etc., is going to immediately start casting whoever it is as the avatar of American norms, values and a return to normalcy. Oh, yeah. And, And so... It's not going to be necessarily that the candidate will have to stampede to the middle. It's the media will stampede the candidate to the middle. And so all of these Americans who pay very little attention to politics and who will have paid very little attention to the Democratic primary, even when they start to lock in and pay attention, are going to hear a very different story from the one that you and I will know. And I think that that's something that's important for people to keep in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. David, always fun to be with you. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks so much. David French of National Review in for Jim Garrity today and tomorrow. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. And don't forget to visit our good friends over at Blinds.com. You know your window treatments need an upgrade, so head over to Blinds.com. And if you use the promo code MARTINI, you get $20 off. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI. And tune in again Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.